0: Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game-changers, you're in the right place. Today's... Part two of a topic we did on our recent series called Biz Buzz with Game Changers back in February this year, 2014. So we're covering manufacturing trends, automation on overdrive, part two. Let's get started. Question mark, people versus robots, people with robots, robots versus people. Got a lot to talk about. Manufacturers are pushing automated processes into overdrive. Just to survive in the super competitive global marketplace. You know it's true. You know if you're a manufacturer. If you're not a manufacturer, listen up because you're going to appreciate them even more. And by the way, this system's evolution is spawning new factory factory jobs, but not just your normal run-of-the-mill traditional jobs. These are jobs that demand specialized skills. Guess what? They can best be performed often by robots. So our big question today is will the future factory workforce still have a place for human beings? And if so, where? I have a panel of experts. Uh, We have three people from the original Part 1 on BizBuzz, and we're welcoming a newcomer, and you're going to meet them in just a moment. So first up on the panel is Mike Yost. He's the president of MESA, M-E-S-A International, and he sent me the following very long quote. We're going to have him dissect it in just a second. Mike says, governmental initiatives like Germany's Industry 4.0 and the U.S.'s National Network for Manufacturing Innovation, NNMI, that's a mouthful, are shining a light on the importance of advanced technology in manufacturing but Mike adds we're still a long ways away from putting all the pieces together correctly sounds puzzling no pun intended Mike Yost welcome back how are you today
2: I'm doing great Bonnie thank you thanks for having me
1: thanks for joining me so talk to me a little bit about industry 4.0 and this NNMI and is this a puzzle where the pieces are not fitting correctly or are we missing pieces give me the uh, the meaning of the analogy please go ahead Mike
2: well, primarily the, the pieces are coming together, uh, but there's still a lot of room for uh, a need for education and discussion across a lot of different dimensions that don't naturally come together. And so, you know, we're automating all parts of our lives, you know, personally and in business. Uh, some areas, you know, it's easy to do that. Other areas, it's not so easy. And I think given the reality in manufacturing, it's one of those areas where, uh, it, you know, automation and it is not inherently easy. And so if we're going to realize the value of IT and IT-type solutions in manufacturing, we're going to have to drive discussions across those those different dimensions that don't naturally come together. So for me to see things happening, like governmental initiatives coming together and, and um, money being put in and the discussions being driven at a higher level, at a governmental level, I think it's at least getting us to the point now where we can have conversations uh, you know, at, at the highest levels, Uh, Again, they're not natural, and so that's why I say it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily going to be easy, but at least we're getting it elevated to the point now where people know that we need to have the discussions and we can get people together at the table to to work through all the
1: challenges. So it sounds like progress is being made. Quick question for you, Mike, before we move to our next panelist. Manufacturing, let's define it. Let's level set before we launch into our big conversation here. What kinds of things are we talking about when we use the word manufacturing in the context of our show today? Mike?
2: Uh, well, that's, that's actually a, uh, a huge issue as well, the terminology and that, uh, you know, from my perspective, the, 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 the MESA organization, we represent uh, the, the plant floor system space. So between mm-hmm. the, the controls level that's controlling the actual machinery and then the business systems level that are making your business level decisions. So talking about the actual manufacturing processes in your manufacturing facilities or in your supply chains. That's how I define yeah. manufacturing.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I'm ready to welcome a newbie to our show. Her name is Kim Nickel, K-N-I-C-K-L-E. She is a practice director for IDC Manufacturing Insights and Kim sent me a quote from Marie Curie. I think this is Marie Curie's first time on our show as well and the quote is, I was taught that the way of progress was neither swift nor easy. Ah, welcome Kim Nickel. How are you today?
3: I'm very good. Glad to be here. Thanks, Bonnie.
1: My pleasure. So, talk to me. You picked this quote from Marie Curie. Let's first of all find out why you chose Marie Curie, and then how does this relate to our topic? Go ahead, Kim.
3: Well, um, I I picked Marie Curie deliberately because uh, she's a woman, and as a woman uh, in the math and sciences and engineering, I am happy to support other women's work, uh, and um, that's that that was important for me to look for a great quote. From a great woman. Okay, good. And how does this relate to? Do you, do you agree with Mike
1: Yost, the president of Mesa International, that there's a puzzle that the conversation in manufacturing in terms of IT and advanced technologies is just getting started? We're just starting to talk the right people to the right people. What would Marie Curie say about that, Kim?
3: Yeah and I I think that Mike and I are definitely in agreement and so Marie Curie uh this is something that we have to we have to recognize it takes some time uh and as both uh, Mike and Marie have said it's not easy uh we have to keep working at it but we are going to make progress and so I well well the quote sounds a little bit pessimistic I actually think that mm-hmm. it's optimistic and that we have to keep trying because it's worth it we are going to make progress
1: I like that. I have a feeling that's what Marie Curie was trying to say, too. Thank you, Kim, and welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And let's move to our next panelist. Jeff Jackson is a veteran of SAP Radio. He's a director at Deloitte Consulting. And Jeff sent me another interesting quote from Albert Einstein, who, by the way, for our trivia collectors, is the most frequently quoted person, living or dead, on SAP Radio. So there. And the quote today is, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Jeff Jackson, how are you?
4: I'm doing great, buddy.
1: Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. You had an Albert Einstein quote when we met with you in February on the BizBuzz Show on Manufacturing Trends Part One. So what is this quote about and how does this relate to what we've been discussing so far, Jeff?
4: Well I wanted to keep with, with the Albert Einstein theme and one of the things that I, I see a lot as I as I work with different companies is the is if we keep thinking the same way, we keep coming up with the same answer and and rotating back and forth between two alternatives, like you know centralizing versus decentralizing different organizations as the needs change. And so I really like the quote because it it talks about the need to really change our paradigm and how we're thinking about applying technology, not just stick it in the same way we've always done it before, and, and in doing that is how we're really going to unlock the value through the, the, the business processes and the whole supply chain of the organization and manufacturing.
1: Okay, and, and Jeff, would you agree that the conversation has been started, and if so, is it on, a, on the right footing?
4: Uh, yeah, I think it started, and um, it's on the right footing, and we've got a long way to go.
1: Okay. So we've got a little bit of you agreeing with Marie Curie through Kim Nichol, who's channeling Marie Curie, and with Mike Yost as well. Good. So let's see if we get any disparate point of view from our fourth panelist. I'm not sure. It's Chuck Farris, Director of Manufacturing Solutions Marketing at SAP, also coming back for part two. Welcome, Chuck. And here's his quote. The future of automation will be a shift from robots replacing humans in jobs to humans working beside robots. Aha, there's the R word. Chuck Ferris, welcome back. How are you?
5: Thank you very much. It's good to be here.
1: Wonderful to have you back. So talk to me. We got that R word, that robots word we're introducing. Are they part of the conversation, Chuck? I'm not sure if they aren't. Go ahead. Talk to me
5: yeah I think they are the, the the new central uh part of the conversation in the generic word of automation. We automate a lot of things, and I think they're changing in their capabilities so before they were either dealing with dangerous jobs or they inherently were dangerous, And, you know we didn't work with robots they would replace some repetitive tasks sort of over in the corner and there's a the guy who originally designed the broom uh, uh, automated vacuum cleaner was actually making robots with labor in China and said, Hey, there has to be a better way. And he designed a new robot called Baxter and Baxter can be trained. You can touch his arm and, and you know, guide it to do different things and it can learn. And I think that capability is dramatically changing what robots are going to do and what that's doing to automation. It that's going to severely change how we relate to them. And it's going to cause disruptions in the, in the labor force, both in skills and, and, and what, uh, in which jobs are actually replaced or and or enhanced, so I think the uh, the uh, uh, quote from from uh, Kim there was very apropos because I think it is a, uh I do see a bit of this challenge, a bit of disruption being as much of the central theme, and I think robots as as one subset of automation are at the heart of that.
1: Thank you, Chuck. And question is, uh, will there be a union of Baxter's? Do you think he'll form a union so he has a voice in the conversation? I'm half serious. You know, I'm, I'm half serious and half not serious. Uh, how will the robots re- be represented? Because everybody in the workforce seems to need representation. What, who will, will side with them and who will say, yes, they have a place here? Yes, they're not kicking humans out, but maybe they're moving humans up to a, more, a higher level of specialization. What, what do you see that dichotomy?
5: Well, I absolutely believe the labor analogy is, is a perfect one, and it is definitely going to be a central part of discussion of this overall what we traditionally think about the terms of labor. And absolutely, if you kind of expand that to a bit of an ethical issue, uh, there are lots of those. You know, the, the worst extreme of those, of course, are, you know, the, the militarization of robots. But in much more interesting questions around uh, automated cars. You know, if if an automated car is faced with killing the driver that it's driving to save, you know, five other people, uh, what is the program supposed to say and do and, and what's the liability of that? So uh, it's interesting both from a labor rights perspective, but also from a liability perspective, I believe that is going to be a, a, a huge new area in, in where ethics is brought into automation.
1: Thank you very much, Chuck. Great perspective. Okay, panel, I have what's probably the toughest question of the day I'm going to pose to you. And three of you know what's coming. And Kim heard about it. I'm not, I hope she's ready. So Mike Yost, let's circle back to you. What's in your cup today or what do you wish you were drinking right now or after the show? Give me a good story, Mike Yost. Go ahead.
2: Well, actually, every Wednesday morning, I get together early with about a half a dozen friends and to, uh, to contemplate the world's challenges. And so this morning I had a, a, a tall, cafe au lait with uh with a handful of my friends and uh hard to ask for anything better than that
1: oh very nice and i assume there's caffeine in that cafe au lait yes
2: yeah i would do it again right now but uh i'm probably uh, too afraid of what the caffeine <laughs> would do to me right, second
1: one. <laughs> okay well i'm glad you're using in moderation thank you very much mike kim nickel what are you drinking today or what do you wish was in your cup
3: well, if I can answer both, so what I am drinking is something that I got on sale at Williams-Sonoma. It's Stephen Smith Tea Maker Holiday Chai, and, it, and it's not bad, but i got to tell you, I've spent a lot of time on vacation with my in-laws in Ireland, and I've become really partial to Bari's tea, Bari's gold tea, loose leaf, uh, with uh, made with an electric kettle and a little bit of milk and a little bit of sugar. That's what I wish I was drinking. Ooh, that sounds good. Spell the brand name, Bari's.
1: How does that spell?
3: B-A-R-R-Y. Okay.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting, Kim. I'm glad you get to spend vacations when you're in-laws. That sounds good, (laughs) too. (laughs) People are going to call and say, how does she do it? Jeff Jackson, what's in your cup?
4: Well, mine is, uh, same as last time, a, a good tall glass of orange juice. But the the experience is is sitting outside a manufacturing plant in central Illinois with a couple of of business colleagues and just talking about the need for automation through their Southeast Asia facilities. And the thing that just fascinated to me is the kind of the the heartland of America and sitting there in central Illinois and having conversations about. You know, global companies and the global reach and, and how to expand automation was just a, a fascinating discussion for me to have and, and a really great, uh, morning cup of coffee.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. Chuck Ferris, what are you drinking?
4: I'm actually drinking dandelion root tea, which, uh,
5: sounds a bit extreme, but, uh, I started on a little bit of, uh, improvement of health and tried to limit some caffeine and just had a, Wonderful time enjoying all kinds of different teas, and so I'm drinking dandelion root. Believe it or not, this morning.
1: I'm, I'm going to say, believe it or not. I'm going to say, not. Sounds interesting. <laughs> I can see Wizard. If I can see the trip to the Wizard of Oz and the dandelions growing on the side of the Yellow Brick Road, but I wax, I wax poetic for no particular reason at all. Guess what? We're going to go to our first break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to our latest live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. It's Wednesday, May 28th. Really? Is it almost? June, this is part two of a show we did on BizBuzz Radio, February 4th, 2014. I'm welcoming back Mike Yost from Mesa International, Jeff Jackson from Deloitte, Chuck Farris from SAP, and welcoming our newbie today, our new panelist, Kim Nickel at IDC Manufacturing Insights, and a shout-out to Bob Parker. We'll be right back after the break. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that dial, that app. Let's go out. Welcome back. Our topic today is Manufacturing Trends Automation on Overdrive or in Overdrive Part 2. I'm speaking today with Mike Yost from Mesa International MESA, Kim Nickel at IDC Manufacturing Insights, Jeff Jackson at Deloitte, and Chuck Farris at SAP. We're going to kick off our 30-minute roundtable nonstop. I know my panelists have their seatbelts on. I can hear somebody squiggling around back there. Don't be nervous. It's going to be fun. Mike Yost, we're going to start off with you. Interesting talking point you sent me before the show. I think it's provocative and a good conversation started for the roundtable. Mike, you said technology is too often the focus of discussion. The focus should be on strategy, metrics, process, people, and then technology in reference to manufacturing disruption. Talk to me, Mike. Let's get started.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um- one of the things that, that our association does is tries to bring the worlds together of, of technology and manufacturing and, and as I said in the opening segment, um, those aren't, ne- nat, uh, aren't necessarily the uh, natural conversations or it's not uh, always easy for the two worlds to understand each other. And uh, just as an example, we had a, uh, a conference about a month ago, was, was leading a uh, roundtable discussion and one of the participants was a, uh, an IT leader. And um, uh, from a small company, and he was asked by his CEO to figure out what they could do with iPads in manufacturing. And um, the whole whole place, all the IT people in the room uh, who are who are a little bit farther down the path in understanding these kind of things, sort of bristled and said, "You're being asked the wrong question, and you need to push back on that. You don't take the technology and go find, you know, a solution for it. You start with the business need that you have. What is the strategy for?" um you know the the business problem you're trying to solve and what are your performance metrics and then think about your processes and the people how they'll interact with it and then you put the technology in place and it led to a just a phenomenal conversation uh, specifically at that at that uh, event that we were doing but that is really an underlying uh, continual theme that we see in, in our association and the conversations that I get in is that people come forward and it's really tempting today we have technology coming at us fast and furious and, and great advances um mm-hmm but it can oftentimes veer things off and get our perspective out of whack.
1: Mike, is this, is this focus on technology first, which you're saying is the wrong, wrong end of the stick, is this coming from the energy and IT? Is this coming from the, the CIO saying we want a place at the table and we think we're as important as everybody else and more important? Is that where that's coming from?
2: Uh, I, I don't see it as much from that. Oftentimes the, the IT organizations and the CIOs are, are being pulled along as well. Um, I mean, there are many drivers that that hit people They could come from anywhere, obviously, as, um, uh, you know, as uh, business leaders see new innovations. But oftentimes there are things people are responding to. Um, either there are, you know, compliance issues or there are, um, you know, any number of different parts from the business could come forward with the great, the next great thing for the business. And so it could come from any number of different areas within the business. And, and unfortunately for IT, there's sort of the, the, the lightning rod for the business to say, you go figure out what this means for us. Mm-hmm. And that's not just the manufacturing piece either. That can be supply chain and, and you know, all, all different aspects of the business.
1: Thank you, Mike. Kim Nichol, what do you think about what Mike just introduced to the conversation? Thoughts?
3: Um, i I agree somewhat but i but I want to be cautious here. I think that sometimes we have to acknowledge the fact that technology is Sometimes evolution and sometimes revolution, so we don 't want to get caught in what i 'd label management by magazine, where you know someone says exactly what what Mike raised, which is you know find a use for these this new technology, the ipad um, but on the other hand, sometimes we have to we have to look for those opportunities to really change the way we 're doing things, and so sometimes you do have to start with the technology and figure out what it can do um, but they but they absolutely you know. As Mike said, they have to go hand in hand. They have to be um, productive and, and really making the business uh, run better, as SAP likes to say.
1: Oh, oh, thank you for that. Yes. Jeff Jackson, what's the Deloitte POV on this topic we're talking about right now?
3: Yeah, I
4: guess um, I, I agree with, with elements of both Kim and, and Mike that, you know, starting with the strategy, and, and I, I tend to focus on end-to-end business process with, with the integration on how, you know how you accomplish the, the strategic ob- objective of the business, and then how is technology going to enable that, and then the metrics at the end, or how am I going to measure my success and and confirm that I'm I'm achieving the results that I set out to get. Um, I do like the the idea that you know technology definitely needs to be the servant of the business. That you're there to enable the business, but but where I where I want to make sure we we kind of highlight is Going back to the Einstein quote of, of disruptive technologies. How do we think about it differently? How do you, how do you take a different lens at looking at the problem to truly get the business value that you're looking for? So uh, technology isn't always just at the end. I think you need to consider it all the way along, but, but definitely have the, the primary mind of how do I, how do I bring value to the business?
1: Thank you, Jack Ferris. We want to hear your conversational input on. Uh, with which side are you on?
5: Well, I think the uh, comment that uh, the kind of vein of discussion that Mike was going in originally around what is the role of IT in these types of things. I think that I personally have reluctantly came up, came to the personal position that this rate of disruption is very uh, significant. You got to mm-hmm. get in your mind the concept <clears throat> of. Um, exponential growth we see that in technology we see it in hand you know mobile devices and i think we're used to a very slow rate of progression and i think that's the question that you know is of the day a lot of manufacturers right now are just trying to remove paper from the shop floor in 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 contrast the competitive pressures the uh, uh recently there was an Accenture study on missing skill sets and uh, uh on March 13th and it talked about that their uh, out of their survey the average if you will uh representative person is missing 4.6 million dollars a year in loss uh just due to those skill sets uh, just due to that competitive mm-hmm. shift in what is that role in that process uh so i think that i'm i'm bullish on the the rate of change and i think it's a big struggle that manufacturers are going to have to be forced to deal with and I think it's going to go much faster because I believe it is an exponential curve
1: interesting Uh, Mike Yost I want to give you a chance I'm not sure whether to rebut or just comment Uh, we've had some discussion you started it kiddo so why don't you circle back and, and what are your comments on what Kim and Jeff and Chuck said about your point
2: well I, I i certainly agree uh, you know and, and you know what what kim said um it's the right approach and and my 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 counter would be that i what i don't see is i don't think we're developed enough or we're mature enough in our understanding of how to handle these discussions uh, in, internally within businesses um, to to be able to do that successfully that we're we continue to trip over ourselves and and chuck hit the main the, the nail on the head i mean if we go back you know a decade decade and a half You know, technology wasn't, uh, technology was more likely to um hold us back from getting into, uh, into manufacturing, into the facilities because there were technology problems. And today it's the opposite extreme, the exponential growth and the, and the capabilities that are coming out and, uh, you know, the, the, the power and the connectivity and the reach and it's just exploding. And so we weren't real good at figuring out where technology fit before and now technology is a runaway train and we're trying mm-hmm. to figure out where t- technology fits. So um, it is uh, uh, getting faster, rolling downhill, and uh, it is a bigger challenge. And more important than ever that we figure out how to, how to do this and fit these things into place.
1: Thank you. Anybody else want to talk to Mike's point before I go in a slightly different direction? Kim, Jeff, Chuck, everybody okay? Or any, any final comments on this thread? You all good? Okay. I've been given permission. Kim Nickel, I want to talk about your first talking point you sent me before the show. Interesting. Let's drill down to what is really on the plates, on the minds, in the hearts and heads of manufacturers today. What are the stresses? And you say manufacturers are increasingly demand-oriented, data-driven, digitally executed. And you're talking about robots and wearables and Internet of Things and mobile and sensors. It's a lot. So give us this profile of the today's manufacturer. What are the top priorities in the top pressures, Kim?
3: Sure. Um, so, so, the the list here of the, the three Ds essentially give you kind of what the type of priorities and pressures are. And I think, um, you know, the, the first one is pretty obvious. Across manufacturing, regardless of the type of manufacturer, uh, we see them being much more sensitive to what the customer wants. So, whether that's creating a uh, a more niche product or tweaking some of the functionality or, uh, you know, doing better, uh, polling of, of what customers or consumers want in their product. Uh, I, all of it comes down to they, they have to know a lot more about the customer and they have to do a lot better in serving that customer. So that's the demand oriented piece. Mm-hmm. Data driven, I think, uh, all of us, uh, on the, on the show today uh... definitely see that in terms of using technology Um manufacturers want to use the, the data that they have and the data that they're collecting uh... in order to make business decisions uh, and technology is going to help them do that and then there's the digitally executed piece which is everything that that you had listed Bonnie so it's it's bringing the robots into the plant it's uh... arming our production uh employees with with wearables to help them do a better job it's the internet of things um mobile uh accompanying the employees uh, throughout the plant and into the supply chain uh and 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 so on
1: Thank you, Kim. Good points, and I want to ask about before I, I get Jeff and Chuck and Mike in on this. I want to acknowledge we have Karen Geraldo, who is a fan of SAP Game Changers Radio, tweeting the following. Karen said a few minutes ago. Let's see. It was yeah, a few minutes ago. She said, "The robot liaison where ethics are brought into automation. Love it." So that's uh, one of our panelists brought that. I think it was Chuck Ferris. So Chuck, you have uh, you have resonated with Karen Geraldo. Appreciate that. Thank you, Karen. Always. If anybody wants to join, join. Karen and she's at hashtag SAP Radio tweeting about the show. So, Kim McNichol Kim Nichol just talked about what we were uh, talking about, the personality, the pressures on the heads of manufacturers today. Jeff Jackson, do you agree with her list of the three Ds? That's demand-oriented, data-driven, and digitally executed. What's your perspective from the D, Deloitte perspective?
4: <laughs> yes, yes, I do agree. Um, one of the big challenges we see with, with the data is there's just so much information now figuring out what to do with it. How do I, how do I, how do I extract the value out of all the data that, that we now have? And, and the flexibility is, as we look at demand oriented, all the customer information that we have and the preferences, I look at manufacturers trying to Get closer to meeting the needs of the customer and how do I, how do I have a more flexible manufacturing runs and more frequent turnover in the production line so that I can, I can really forecast and meet the demand that's out there to sell just a little bit more product. And it's, it causes a lot of the challenge with technology of how do I incorporate it and, and still have the, the higher flexibility, you know, 10, 15 years ago it was hey here's the automation here's the line of the cars that I'm putting out and and I'm just going to manufacture it now it's you know order to delivery how do I how do I have the the flexibility for the 1900 options that I could have for any make and model of car between wheels mm-hmm. and and drivetrains and colors and and trim that I put on the car so it it really is you know disrupting the manufacturing process and just having the the manufacturer struggle to figure out so what's the best way to incorporate this to reach that end customer and meet, meet the needs that I know are there, but I don't quite have all the tools to to get where I want to be yet.
1: Okay. Is this the make-for-me economy we're talking about, Jeff? Is this when you talk about the choices of wheels and leather and seats and covers and all that? Is this, is this the make-for-me where everybody wants it when they want it, how they want it, exactly how they want it? Is this where what manufacturers are really forced to look at? And, and the ones who don't comply, if I can use that, that old-fashioned word, the ones who don't give in, are they going to be left behind or will they survive?
4: Um, I, it definitely is. They're looking much more towards uh, making for the individual. I do think that um, you know those that, that shift to that uh, to, to that the capability to be more nimble and meet the customer needs are going to thrive in the coming economy. I think there is there are some products that are still going to be you know they're going to survive, but they're not going to thrive if you don't if you don't match the change and, and meet the consumer needs.
1: There's the challenge, Chuck Ferris. Want to hear what you have to say on all of this? Talk to me.
4: Well, I really love Kim's 3D's, and when I
5: heard those,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
5: it immediately brought to mind that the other buzzword bingo missing term here uh, is Internet of Things. So when we talked earlier, you asked Mike originally how do you define manufacturing. I think that's another element mm-hmm. of this ongoing evolution of what is automation. It started out as you know shop floor process control, uh, and I think this the Points that she's bringing up and Jeff amplified are all examples of automation being more externally focused. So how do you get real time def- uh, demand and what does that do to the manufacturing on the shop floor where there's very little buffer of inventory? What does it do to, to that customization level? And more importantly, as, as manufacturers change their fundamental business model and, and leverage their own products in aftermarket services and provide the service instead of the product. So I think the three D's that she talked about are are part of that, both the definition of automation changing and becoming more outward focused uh, from a manufacturer's perspective. And I think it's very tightly coupled with this, you know, wonderful buzzword called Internet of Things, uh, that in reality we've been doing machine-to-machine connectivity for 30 years in manufacturing. And and so, yes, we're going to connect the the, the home and the mobile devices and all of those types of things now, but it's really having a transformative effect
2: on the manufacturer themselves.
1: Thank you very much, Chuck. Mike Yost, I want to get you in on this one. What are your thoughts? Well,
2: I would just piggyback on what Chuck was saying because I certainly agree with what everybody said so far, and and the ability to uh, be demand oriented or, or to change your business model, uh, and all of a sudden have capabilities that give you the opportunity to be in new lines of business or or you know, at a competitive advantage uh, that you didn't have previously is uh, I think that's a huge game changer, and that is what's uh, what's driving a lot of folks, and then it ends up. Where, okay, in order to do those sorts of things, you need to have the data and you need to be able to execute and, and those sorts of things. And, and I remember um, one time when um, in, in my past life I was working as a manufacturing solutions leader for a, a software company and we had a, a group of our manufacturers together and uh, our solution basically harnessed all the data, everything coming off the machines as, as Chuck just referenced. We had all the data. And, uh, we were talking about the different applications, uh, what, what problem should we solve? Uh, and, and one of our, one of our, uh, business partners, uh, stepped up and said, you guys are looking at this backwards. Um, I have the data. You put the data. You capture it all for me. You give me context. I understand. You know, to Jeff's point earlier, I understand what's happening in manufacturing. That gives me the understanding to, uh, you know, know what my process reliability is and to know what my capabilities are to deliver. And so I can do just about anything from there. Once I have the data, I know what it means, and, and I can figure out the impact of on my business. And so th- those are those are huge drivers um, that uh, that people are dealing with today and, and executing on as well.
1: Thank you, Mike. Anybody else want to chime in? Kim, we've gone around the circle with your your great set of Ds there. So do you want to talk to us? uh, Anything, comments from your fellow panelists that you'd like to address? Mm -hmm.
3: Um, I just wanted to I, I did want to add a few more comments. I, I love that term make for me. I always uh, I always explain it as if we had our way as as consumers or customers, we'd each be a market of one. But I like the make for me phrase. that's a good one. Um, on the data topic, I think we could talk about that all day long. Um, I still get manufacturers rolling their eyes, though, when we talk about big data. Uh, because most of them will tell me over and over they've always had big data, what's new. And I, I think we still have to really talk through that and talk about the fact that um, although you may have had big data, you're going to have even more big data and isn't the point to get value out of it. And I think everyone's pretty much commented on that. And uh, Chuck's right, uh, Internet of Things is not just part of being digitally executed for manufacturers. It's also part of the the other pieces as well. So adding more data and helping manufacturers be more demand-oriented. So I'm glad to, to hear everyone's comments. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Good panel.
1: Jeff Jackson, I'm going to move to one of your talking points. Something I don't think I've heard yet in the conversation. It's your second one. You say cost reduction and efficiency gains will be driven through end to end business process integration with a core capabilities focus. So let's talk about keeping costs down. There's nothing old fashioned or newfangled or disruptive about that. That is the name of the game, isn't it? And efficiency gains, if they're not going to be efficient, how are they going to do any of what we're talking about? So let's talk bottom line in terms of cost and efficiency. What's your POV?
4: Um, basically, it, I was I started talking about it a little earlier, and that is we really need to look at the end-to-end business process. And so, while I look at you know shop floor automation as as important, I look at at the integration points between all of the business processes that go through the the supply chain and all of those handoffs, where companies typically lose time and and money. Handing off between different decisions and waiting for decisions to be made by different people, so, as mm-hmm. I look at, at enabling technology, it's how do I make all of the decisions all the way through the supply chain that that can be made and then provide the data for you know the key decision makers to make the strategic decisions? So, as we go through the handoffs from forecasting into procurement, into, you know, feeding to the production lines for just in time to, to then provide the materials to the robots to do the assembly. All of that is, is really automation. It's not just the robot at the end. And so I, I look at as you can take the whole process, integrate that and support it with the technology so that then, then the, the high-skill resources are just adding their skill set at strategic times. That's how we're going to get more and more value out of the supply chain and reduce the cost.
1: Okay, thank you. Chuck Ferris. comments on what Jeff just added to the conversation.
4: I apologize. I've had a bit of an interruption for a second, but I, I did
5: hear the tail end of it, and I think it's perfectly in line. I think we are going to have a bit of stratification in the workforce. I think those roles are going to change, and I think manufacturers need to consciously think about that. They're dealing with a skill set shortage and change, But I think in the context, as Mike said, about planning on your automation and and, and how can you do this, I think proactively recognizing
2: that skill set change is an important thing for Okay.
1: Mike Yost, thoughts? Uh,
2: Yeah. I I think I need to spend some more time with Jeff because uh, we are uh, (laughs) – right now within our organization, we are are starting up a a, – a group, a working group, around um, end-to-end business process and integration with manufacturing, how that that touches the production processes. Um, And everywhere I go and everybody that I engage in that kind of conversation, all the heads nod in agreement that it's the right thing to do and that, yes, that makes sense. And, of course, we put the process first, and, of course, we understand it. but then the reality is that um, you know, the approaches for how you go forward with that, how you implement something, how you deliver something of value uh, to them uh, is, is not as well defined. You don't get the heads nodding anymore. You get sort of the, the deer in the headlights look more than anything else. Um, so, uh, completely agree that there, there's significant um, cost reductions and efficiency gains available for, you know, basically knitting um, you know, knitting these processes together and, and all the different touch points with all the data and information that's out there. Um, it, it's a huge opportunity for if people truly understand the end-to-end business process and can, and can integrate
1: that Thank you, Kim Nickel. I want to hear your thoughts from the perspective of what you do at IDC Manufacturing Insights. Thoughts about the efficiency and the cost reductions?
3: Yeah, I think um, you pretty much can't go wrong talking to manufacturers about uh, this, uh, about cost reduction and efficiency. It's just a, it's just a standard conversation that we expect. Though so I, I do find there there are some types of manufacturers that are a lot more sensitive to that. Discussion and prioritize that a little more. Um, but, you know, putting, putting that piece aside, I think the end to end business process integration is, is something that all manufacturers could get better at. And, and that's something that I, um, you know, that I added to my talking points too in that, um, it's the, it's the intersections between departments, between roles, between companies and their suppliers or their partners. Um, there's a tremendous amount of inefficiency there. Uh, that could, could definitely see some improvement. Um, if you just think about it, it's natural in our jobs to, to want to be good at our jobs and to lose sight of what the big picture is. And I think that's fundamentally what Jeff is saying. We don't want the forecaster to lose sight of the fact that, um, that, you know, the customer, uh, the salespeople who know the customers inside and out can see that the customer demand is changing. Uh, and so the forecast is going to have to change, or that the production is going to have to be a lot more nimble in changing um, their production runs. So I think it's it's definitely in the um, the integration across uh, uh, organizational um, groups, roles, and also in terms of companies.
1: Thank you, Kim. I want to change gears, switch gears a little bit, and get back to our conversation we started with Chuck Ferris at the beginning of the show about Baxter, Baxter the trainable robot who you can touch his arm, and I don't know, maybe he'll cook dinner or do the windows. That's what I could use today, actually. So send him over, Chuck. Chuck, talk to me about the improved capabilities that will change the relationship between robots and workers, and what about the stratification of the workforce and pay equality, inequality. What do the robots have to do with that? So let's let's see. We have uh, about six minutes. This before the break, Chuck, I want you to start this. I'm going to have everybody chime in. So go ahead.
5: Well, I think that is the elephant in the room uh, is that big question of income inequality. It certainly is growing in our society, and now it's moving into the, into the plants. Uh, we, as we, we start to change these roles, as we start to introduce these robots, we do start to change to a two tiered workforce. One is the one-tiered work. The first tier is working with Baxter. It's guiding Baxter. It's making sure Baxter and the Baxter's, and they're doing a cooperative task together and those sorts of things. So there's still a role, but it basically is a lower skill. The interesting part is how much the upper tier gets upgraded in their skill set. What before was somebody on on the shop floor or on a line worker is now much more thinking like a supervisor. They are actually managing production and looking out for all the things that a traditional production supervisor would do. Then the question Mm -hmm. that brings, though, is how do you manage this workforce? The lower end of that workforce is going to be a flexible workforce. It's going to be somebody, we already see this in lots of of manufacturing today, is somebody just brought in to do a job. So how do you bring someone in? How do you manage quality? How do you give them effective work instructions? How do you track production when you don't have that continuity of 20 years of experience on the shop floor? So I think a lot of the things that, that Mike and his organization are doing are very applicable dealing with this, but I think you are going to have a stratified workforce, and you're going to have one built primarily of flexible labor on the bottom end, and we need to understand how we're going to manage a worker that shows up and make them productive on day one and have a different one show up on day two.
1: Chuck, one more point before I bring in Mike and Kim and Jeff on this. Are robots still dangerous? You mentioned that to me before the show, that they're doing dangerous jobs, but some of them are just plain dangerous. How can you put people side by side with all of the the laws? Uh, I forget what all the insurance laws are called, but uh, h- how do you put them in a the shop floor and say, hey, this robot might get a little out of control, but don't worry. He'll help you get the job done. Duh. Is, is that a reality or am I over-dramatizing it?
5: But I think if you look up Baxter on the Internet, you'll see that that generation of capability is what defines that new relationship. Currently, over half the robots are in automotive, and you've seen the assembly lines with these big arms and welders and things are going around. And that's because that's the limitation of that capability. But I, I think if you'll take a look at the Baxter analogy in, in similar type robots, that they really do appear, relate to co workers that are, are functioning in, in much more similar roles. Which again, puts a strain on the technological unemployment it's created, but I absolutely believe it's a completely different relationship.
1: Okay, I'm I'm thinking uh harking back to recent movie called Her, uh, where the man developed a relationship with a an intelligent computer operating system. It wasn't a robot, but I think he would have been happier if she had been, but I digress. Mike Yost, talk to me about what Chuck just said about the stratification of the workforce and uh is Baxter gonna be rocking and rolling and is there gonna be a Baxter in every factory in the next I don't know what. Not time for predictions yet, but where will Baxter rear his head? Is it a he? Talk to me, Mike. <laughs> uh,
2: well, I, uh, I had the opportunity about a month ago to hear uh, Rodney Brooks, who's the the, uh, the inventor of Baxter. Uh, he gave a he gave a presentation at the conference that I was referencing earlier, um, and one of the things that he talked about that I think um, ties in with what Chuck was saying is that uh you know one of the real values uh is to be able to capture the uh the knowledge that the workers have and and uh you know, as we all know that um you know we are the brain drain and the and the, the folks that are retiring from manufacturing and how much process knowledge that they have in their head and a real concern um across pretty much all the industries that I deal with that when that knowledge goes that leaves a, a great big hole. And so that was one of the areas specifically that uh Mr. Brooks talked about in and the teachability of Baxter so that you can you can teach the robots those um those processes and then you can retain some of that that uh, inherent knowledge. Um, so, you know, that, and, and that's been one of the value propositions from automation to begin with, is the more you can digitize that and capture that information, then the less reliant you are on, uh, you know, one person understanding the process better than another. So, uh, there's, there's certainly, um, value there and there's there's opportunity there um, but at the same token uh, by the same by the same token um, you know I've been in plants and seen multi-million dollar systems shut down with the uh with the permission of the plant managers because the systems are getting in the way uh so if they don't add value or until the point where they do add value uh they can't get in the way of slowing down the actual work being done in manufacturing and that's going to be a balancing act
1: Mm, thank you, Kim Nickel. you want to wrap up on this one, and then we'll get to Jeff and then we'll go to break in about two minutes. Kim thoughts please
3: yeah i I think there are so many. Great, uh, so much great content in here, uh, but I, I think we have to come down to in the core production jobs. There's a great study that I recommend people take a look at. It's uh, from MIT. It's the Production and in the Innovation Economy Manufacturing Survey. And the truth is that the majority of the production jobs need fairly basic math skills, computer skills, reading, and writing skills. They are they are fairly basic. Um, when you take when you take that fact. And then you get to, um, the, you know, a board worker is a less safe worker and a less productive worker. Mm-hmm. You have to come down to how do you make those employees still be productive and safe, uh, knowing that their jobs are not going to be tremendously varied uh, and tremendously exciting. So I think that's going to mm. be a challenge for a lot of manufacturers.
1: Interesting. Great points. Bringing in the human equation that Baxter may or may not understand. Jeff Jackson, quickly, you want to wrap this up for me? I'll give you one minute, and then we're going to break.
3: Sure. I
4: think uh, the other element that I'd like to go back to is what Mike was talking about: is the whole cost trade-off of automation versus the the manual workforce. As I, mm-hmm. as I look at you know global manufacturing and trying to be closer to your customer base and the cost of logistics, I think every every manufacturing plant and each supplier is going to have to go through A lot of that justification of technology as to at what point is it worth putting a Baxter into that facility versus hiring the the unskilled labor that is sufficient, you know, to reduce the, you know, it's kind of the cost-benefit analysis of at what point is it worth upgrading the technology and investing in the long-term technology, and I think companies are going to continue to struggle with that over the next five to ten years.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Guess what? You've all been working so hard. I'm going to give you a much-needed and much-deserved break. We're talking to Mike Yost at Mesa International, Kim Nickel at IDC Manufacturing Insights, Jeff Jackson at Deloitte, Chuck Farris at SAP. We're going to come back with the crystal ball segment. You know what that means. Karen knows what that means. It means we're going to find out. If we fast forward to, let's go to 2020, which is hindsight, we're told. Let's go to the year 2020. Mike and Kim and Jeff and Chuck, what do you think this conversation would be like six years from now we'll be right back after the break and we're out
0: the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network
1: here we are. We're back, and it's time for the Crystal Ball Predictions Round. We're going to kick it off with Mike Yost at Mesa International. Mike, can you look forward, uh, blue skies, cloudy skies, no pun intended, of course not, uh, to 2020? What do you think manufacturing will look like, people versus robots, efficiencies, the IT discussion, technology first, strategies first? Let's do a summary. What do you think will happen in the next six years?
2: Well, I think that we'll definitely be smarter, um, but I don't think that we'll be done with the work that we're that we're uh, undertaking right now. Um, I think back to the early 90s, uh, the automotive manufacturers used to talk about having the three-day car, and that was all the focus for a while. And then eventually they backed off and started talking about the X-day car uh... where they wanted the capability to be able to deliver in three days if that was the right number but it was really smarter to have the marketplace and, the, and their businesses dictate whether it's three or five or six or whatever the, the right n- number is Um and i think you're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff continue with these technology discussions and the robots and the big data all that kind of stuff. So I think that you'll see some peaks on some things that will sort of spike and then settle out, and I guarantee you we'll be talking about uh, completely new technologies, uh, you know, five, six years from now that uh, that aren't even on the radar at this point.
1: Will Baxter have a family?
2: <laughs> My guess would be yes. My guess would be there will be no slowing down in, uh, in that innovation there. Will their family be in manufacturing on a large scale? I think that's still – still debatable and still needs to be. uh,
1: And let's acknowledge uh, Kim's selection of Marie Curie to honor smart women. The question is, if Baxter has a wife and a daughter, will they be in the manufacturing workforce? Mike, quickly, yes, no?
2: Uh, They certainly should be.
1: Okay. That's a perfect segue for Kim Nickel at IDC Manufacturing Insights. Kim, what do you see in the crystal ball? Blue skies, cloudy skies, and Baxter and his family. Go ahead.
3: Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, <laughs> I had to get my, that in my good comment you get it you get an A plus for today. <laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely want to see more women in the in the manufacturing world and i I think that uh, i I think that that we need skilled people and I think we need skilled robots too. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that's certainly going to be essential to serving the needs of what will probably be uh, close to 8 billion people in the world. So we, we, need to, we need to develop that automation and the skills in our workforce in order to make that happen.
1: Okay. And, Kim, any of the, the points that you want to wrap up that you brought into the conversation about the three Ds, demand-oriented, data-driven, digitally executed, will you still be talking about those in six years from now?
3: Uh you know, um, I think that uh absolutely we will. Um, I think all of those are gonna be uh even more important uh in six years and I think that uh you know it's uh, uh it's a capabilities and a capacity issue uh in order to, to meet the needs that, that we'll have in two thousand nineteen and technology is definitely gonna play an important role there.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And let's turn to Jeff Jackson at Deloitte Consulting. Jeff, talk to me. Predictions, what do you see? Blue skies, cloudy skies? you got two minutes. Go ahead.
4: I guess I would say cloudy skies. Um, you know, I, I agree with both Mike and Kim that uh, the progress is not fast. We'll make progress. Uh, but um, we're going to continue to struggle with kind of that balance between technology adoption and and the labor force. Uh, We're going to continue to see an upgraded need for some skill sets to work side-by-side by by the robots, and we'll definitely have an influx of the the family of of robots that will be helping in the workforce. I think that the other trend is that that we're going to continue to have more and more data and, and better data that's more focused. I go back to... Um, you know, some of the data analytics I was doing five and six years ago that, that took massive amounts of data and people thought they had good data, but when you really had the computing power and, and understood how to segment it and turn it into to valuable information, people were just amazed at what they could learn. And I think that trend is going to continue as we, as we use the data to identify places along the supply chain and in the end-to-end process where we're going to continue to drive efficiency out of the out of the process
1: thank you very much and let's turn to chuck farris chuck has just tweeted i know he can do a lot of things so he's talking and tweeting and thinking and planning and hoping and praying here all at the same time he says automation and overdrive the good the bad and the ugly i think that's the new subtitle for today's episode chuck also informed me that he blogged about this show before the show and chuck what are we up to over a thousand views on your blog
5: yes in fact that's why i just put that up there you can go to the hashtag sap radio and and see the blog, and it has you know lots of links and things to supporting articles and stats and things that may be of interest.
1: Wonderful, thank you very much. So anybody, just go to hashtag SAP Radio and look for Chuck Ferris. It's at Chuck P H A R R I S. is his handle. Uh, Chuck, so talk to me about your predictions.
5: Well, I think the the buzzword of the day is going to be inequality. I think it's a term that I personally have had to sort of wrestle with my own personal social and political uh, uh, viewpoints and, and come to term with. But I think it's driving where the demand is, who the demand's coming from, it's driving who is the workforce, it's driving, what is that that trade shifting that trade-off between uh, technology and labor. I think the, the manufacturer of the future are going to be talking about in, income inequality and what it's doing to their to their customers and, and to their labor force.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. I have a question for the whole panel. Let's see. We've got two minutes till we have to stop. I need about 45 seconds. So I'm going to go back very quickly through the panel around the round table. We go first, Mike, then Kim, then Jeff and Chuck. And, uh, interesting. You all have single syllable first names. That's easy. Question is, we always talk on, on a lot of our shows. We talk about millennials, their introduction into the workforce, their power, their assertiveness, what they're looking for in jobs. Will we see an influx of millennials infiltrating the Ranks of workforce in the next five or six years in what we call manufacturing. Mike, yes or no? And uh, yeah, just yes or no. Ten seconds. Go.
2: Oh goodness, I hope so. Um, I think
3: I it's hope going to be so. a
1: challenge. <laughs> okay, good. Kim Nickel, yes or no?
3: Yes, I think this is part of the diverse workforce. Absolutely.
1: Thank you, Jeff Jackson. Yes or uh, no?
4: Yes, I think we're going to find a way to, to attract more.
1: Good, good, good. And Chuck Ferris, yes or no?
5: Absolutely. And the article in the Wall Street Journal this morning is not only going to be there, they're going to be the transformative change in uh, corporate America.
1: And that's blue skies. Guess what? I have some predictions of my own. Tomorrow's future of business with game changers. Final episode in our season one, 13 week series. We're going to be talking about the future of business arrives in Orlando. That's Sapphire now. Those on, on the phone who know that know that. And we're going to be talking about a preview of some of the forums. If you attend Sapphire or watch or listen to it on demand, you will see and hear. Good show. Monday, we're back with financial excellence with game changers. Tuesday, HR trends with game changers. And next Wednesday, I'll be right back here with our flag show coffee break with game changers thank you to mike yost at mesa kim nickel at idc jeff jackson deloitte chuck farris at sap yes i wrote this down brad the business channel team and here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today see you tomorrow right here on future business with game changers bye bye